It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I'm your host, Kyle. We are brought to you by 7th Element. And with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Boys, it is snowing outside today. And as I told my <laughs> wife on the way over here tonight, I said, it is snowing. The wind is cold. And I said, for the first time, it actually feels like winter this year. Yeah, no shame. I actually wore my long johns to work today. It's that cold. But that's the way it is around here. It really gets cold in January. December, you know, you can wear your short sleeves pretty much for Christmas time. But come January, it's going to be in the uh, single digits, maybe negatives. Yeah, I mean, we were at like 60 degrees just last week. And I think the wind chill today was 12 yeah. when I got out. Just at, And this is at like 11 p.m. Go to the gym. So anyway, yeah, it was, it was frigid today. And we put snow in quotes because it was just flurrying. But, you know, whatever. It was nice to see a little, little white stuff spitting from the sky. So I was telling Chelsea, I said, the one thing that really gets you down here in wintertime is not the snow like she's used to. It's the wind. She was telling me that. That humidity. In, yeah. She was telling me up in Newfoundland and Labrador, they've had to call the military in because the snow is so much. And there's a time lapse on Twitter of somebody from Newfoundland who in a 24 hour period, their car was completely covered with snow from the ground up. You could not see it. I'm just going to say this though. As cold as it does get here, it cannot be as cold as it was in Edmonton the other night where the Preds played the Oilers. Yeah, wasn't it wasn't so, like negative 35 or something? Negative 35 with a wind chill of minus 50. Oh my God. They went from a minus 50 wind chill to 60 degrees when they got <laughs> off the plane in Nashville. You talk about a violent temperature swing. I mean, that's that's great. Over 100 degrees when you're factoring in the wind chill. That reminds the me difference of that, uh, from takeoff to landing. Reminds me of that scene from uh, Cool Runnings when the guys get out from uh, Jamaica to, I think it was, was it Boston they had to drop off the airport at? I can't remember, yeah. And they walk out the airport and the first thing they do is just drop a suitcase because they weren't expecting the cold. Yeah, it's it, that is just startlingly cold. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm kind of glad it's a little chillier now. Feels kind of like hockey. And, of course, this is the, the all-star break, which means this is the final push for the playoffs. So can't be any more excited. And usually the Preds, play pretty well historically after the All-Star break. We are going to get some rest because even though the All-Star break is coming up, this is also the Preds' bye week. So it's weird when your team doesn't have any games because I know football has a bye week and the NHL recently introduced the bye week a couple of seasons ago. And, you know, here we are, like I said, a couple of seasons in. And it's still weird to be going, man, it's hockey season and my team doesn't play at all this week. Yeah, it's it's quite the break. And I was kind of looking at the schedule, too. After the All-Star break, it really ramps up. We have a lot of back-to-backs. It's almost every single week we have at least one back-to-back. It, it, it's going to be a very brutal schedule. I think it was like a game in every 1.9 days on average. So get ready, fellas. But, you know, this team, I always say, plays better with less rest. They Once they get in their groove, just let them go. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens after the All-Star break this year. And also, that'll give us some time to recoup from some key injuries like Sis and Zanellis. I will say I did find out that Crystal Tang has taken over in the Metropolitan spot as captain. And I will say there is one player in the Pacific Division who is going to be glad that he's going to get rest, and that's Matthew Kachuk. 
because if you didn't see what happened to him this week, oh yeah, or I think it was last week at this point, he got his butt handed to him by Zach Cassian. That I tell you, I've just watched that clip over and over. That was a throwback to the old school hockey, man. He uh, Zach Cassian got him up by the collar and tore him down like a rag doll, starting beating his face in. And Matthew Kachuk, you know, he's kind of a, a scrappy player too. That's not just a, a lightweight there. He he can get with the best of them. And Zach Cassian just manhandled him, throwing a couple of lefts to the face. And uh, they had some words, you know, afterwards the post game locker room interview. Uh, Cassium called a couple chess, uh, called him a couple choice words as well. But uh, I have to say that was pretty exciting to watch. You usually don't see players get quite that rough and violent uh, in hockey anymore. So it reminded me of a throwback to the 90s. That, that was incredible. Well, I'm not surprised that Cassian threw those hits because it looked like Chuck was targeting him the entire game. Yeah. Just throwing the hits left and right. And I believe this is like the second or third hit. And Cassian just simply said, I have enough of you and just went after him. Yeah, I think that's what led to it. It, it wasn't just like a one-off instance. He'd been kind of running around him all game. And this was like, all right, I've had enough. You crossed the line. So I'm about to hand you your butt. So that's pretty much didn't what happened. Didn't even say like, sometimes you just got to answer the call. Like you've yeah, been doing it all day. You, yeah, you have. You, I mean, you've been doing it all day. So sometimes you just got to own up for it and... Apparently he was not ready because I mean he looked like a little rag doll getting thrown around out there on the I mean it that was some grown man stuff going down on the ice right there. But do you think that the player safety should have suspended Kachuk as well as Cassian? Because Cassian got suspended and he had a hearing on on the thirteenth with the player safety and he got suspended for two games under rule forty six point two as the aggressor. And I know that worth it. <laughs> I think it was worth it to you know, defending yourself, you know, defend your teammates. You can't have somebody like that on the ice. Like, yes, Matthew Kachuk is a decent player, but you know, if you get on the ice, everyone knows now that he's going to be that guy that's going to be targeting people, especially if he doesn't like you. Yeah, I'm okay with the suspension, I guess. Back in my day, I would have let that play, but uh, I know this is the new school stuff. Should Kachuk have gotten suspended? Probably not. I think it's fine both ways. Sure, give Cassian a game or two, whatever, and get Kachuk out of here. I'm fine with that. That was fine. But at what point do you say that you're actually instigating it? Because it looked like Kachuk was going after Cassian on all those hits, and including one of them, Cassian's head was a little low. So, you know, it's also another thing of watching the body, but still, Kachuk did not make an effort to get away from that hit either. I, I do find it funny, though, on that last hit where he finally just dropped the gloves and had enough. I mean, you can hear McDavid actually screaming, head up, head up, because he knew you were about to get checked because he was coming in with the flying, like... Flying formation. I mean, it was a back check for sure. And uh, when you have other players calling out like, hey, you know, this is about to happen. You're about to get wrecked. And you know, like it's been coming and it's been building up all game. I don't know. Uh, like the other players can see it from a mile away too. So I, I don't know. Kachuk, he, has that re- he has that track record too for having those big hits and not really answering the bell as, you know, stated in the post-game interview. So, uh, it was very interesting to see a reaction from a player who obviously had had enough of his antics, and especially that game. It just was like one hit after another just came to a boiling point, and he exploded. And another piece of news that went around the league, as you know, we're bouncing back and forth from the league news, is that we find out that on January 12th, Ray Shiro is no longer the GM of the New Jersey Devils. Tom Fitzgerald takes in as the interim GM, and beloved goalie Marty Perdue goes on as the advisor to hockey operations. So who saw that coming? Because you know the Devils this season were like primed to make a playoff push. They wanted to make the playoffs. And I can't think of a worse team to have the worst luck and they just fell on their face out of the gate. Let's look here just briefly what they had to start the season off. 
So they get P.K. Subban from us, and they get Wayne Siemens from us. You have the 2019 first-round overall pick of Jack Hughes, and you got the 2017 first-round overall pick of Nico Heischer, and then you've got Taylor Hall. So those people combined, you're thinking, man, this team is going to dominate their division, is going to dominate the Eastern Conference, and is going to make a strong seat in the NHL playoffs, and nope. Yeah, you know, it was funny because when we traded PK, we knew it would give us, you know, obviously a big hole for the defensive laps, but he's also gone over there and done hardly anything too. So I think there's some underperforming as well, but you could see the writing on the wall with them and then also Hall leaving. That was huge. I mean, you're, you're, you're cleaning house essentially and starting fresh as an ownership group in the Devils organization. I mean, with that roster, they have went 17, 24, and 7 for 41 points. And their last one, they got blown out versus the Blue Jackets. Yeah, I kind of view this move as just a continuation of the cleaning house. They got some roster in, then they got to let the coach go, then let the GM go because you really have to have uh, an entire system. And this is the way it is with everything. You bring in your team and your people that preach your system and your style, and you want to make it all congruent. That way, everything flows as nice as possible. So I really uh, don't know quite the job, you know, not privy to the exact role that Shiro was operating there whether or not he was doing a great job or not. But perhaps it was just a situation of trying to find a piece to fit the puzzle exactly how they were trying to view themselves going forward. So like you said, they look great on the roster. So hopefully it probably won't look too good at the end of this year. They're probably not going to make that push like they were hoping, but give it next year, get a team and a coach together that can be congruent together, and then they're going to have something. Now, the real interesting fact about the story is it was said and rumored and even talked about in Elliot Freeman's 31 Thoughts uh, blog the other day was that the analytics people for New Jersey may have possibly had a hand in getting Cheryl out the door because they don't report to GM Ray Shiro. They report directly to the ownership. That, that is quite interesting because you would think some of those stats would trickle down to like coaching staff and or slash the GM personally because he is doing a lot of the scouting. But I mean, I was looking at actually some of these numbers. So you can essentially say that we traded... PK away to get Duchesne. Well, Duchesne has had 31 points this year for Nashville. Uh, PK only has 11 points and a plus minus for a defenseman of minus 15 right now. Yeah. That's like probably the worst, worst year, worst in, his year in his career after we traded him. So I'm wondering because, you know, he started having those injuries kind of towards the, the end of his career here in Nashville. And I, I think David Poyle saw the writing on the wall and was like, hey, we need to dump the contract. So he obviously did not look very, uh, very well, <laughs> and at the second half of this contract. So uh, we'll see. I think that also was a con- contributing factor for Ray being fired because, uh, I mean, you make a couple moves like that where you think they're going to be good, and then they don't pan out, and uh, you'll you'll get the the can really quick in this league. You know who also got the can this week though, and that was another unexpected move, and that was Vegas Golden Knights. Coach Gerard Gallant. Guys, this man has, I guess, some of the worst luck when it comes to firing. Before he went to Vegas, he got let go from Carolina Hurricanes and had to get a cab to make his way home. (laughs) And And, now... And he was coaching the All-Star game. And now he's out. And it's weird, too. And it made me wonder. I quickly went back and looked through the season of the Vegas Golden Knights. And everyone knows that no one was expecting them to make the first round of the playoffs, their inaugural season, let alone 
make a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, everyone says that the NHL kind of rigged the expansion draft in their favor to make them competitive right away. But do you think them making the Stanley Cup finals their first season set the bar too high? Would it have been more realistic for them to just have a good season the first season and then try to make the playoffs the second season, try again the third, and then maybe by the fourth season, if you do not make the playoffs, then let Gallant go. Well, that being said, I mean, you got off to such a hot start. What more could you expect? I mean, you know, you went so far in your inaugural year, and now you're doing so well. You're, first, you're in first place in your division, so that's why he was supposed to be the coach uh, in the All-Star game. Do you go from that kind of success to letting them go because you feel like you haven't reached your, I think the terms were full potential or something like that? I'm, I'm quite surprised at that, actually. I mean, in my eyes, you reached more than your full potential in the first season alone. Nobody expects your team to make the playoffs the first season. Of course, everyone like, of course, everyone has Nashville to look at here locally of how bad we did the first season as a team and how long it took us to make the playoffs. But no, I was expecting Vegas to make the playoffs first overall. And it's just weird because you're like, you couldn't have asked more from Jar Gallant. The players liked him. He liked being in Vegas. And when the uh, people asked him, he said it totally caught him off by surprise. He was not expecting to get let go. I think it was only a four-game losing streak, wasn't it? I mean, it it was not anything severe. And on top of it, I think most of it was correlated to goaltending woes where you had a lapse from Flurry, which he's getting a little older, understandable, but he is still a top-tier goaltender. Like, he's going to have times where he falters, but I I honestly did not see this one coming, and it did not make a lot of sense. Like, Lavi's firing made a little bit more sense because of where we were at divisionally. But if you look at where the Knights were when the firing took place, they're only like four or five points back from first place in the division of the Pacific. That does not make any sense to me right now. They're still one point back from first place in the Pacific. And And he's only had two games, right? There's five teams that all are within one point for first place in the Pacific. It's crazy. It's 58, 57, 57, 57, 57. It's it's crazy. So they're not doing bad at all. They're borderline first place in the in the division. It's I don't know. I, that move catches me off guard. But then, would you have expected the Knights to go around and hire Peter DeBoer? I mean, that was the logical replacement, was it not? I mean, it's someone who kind of knows the team. <laughs> they're in the same division. They've had plenty of playoff experience against each other. Let's not even go back to the bad blood from last season. First of all, my dream th- would be for Gallant to get hired by the Sharks and then them meet in the playoffs and then the Sharks get a five-minute major and then end up scoring three goals and then going on. That would be the perfect dream scenario for me for this playoff season, but that is probably not going to happen. That said, who knows if it's really honestly going to help because I, I, I didn't... Th- it, once again, it felt like another lateral move, kind of like with Lavi and High. Like it, it, it didn't make sense to me the firing to begin with. So it didn't make sense. Like okay, well, we're going to go out here and we're going to get Peter because he's definitely the best one, you know option out here right now and see where it goes. So the situation with the Knights, I think it kind of reminds me of what we just discussed with Jersey and trying to find a guy for their system. They got it. They got a new roster. They got a new coach coming in there, a new system they're trying to set in place. And we mentioned how Vegas is still a young startup. They're still young and trying to find their legs and identity of who they are. And while they have had success, maybe uh, Gallant was just 
the guy to fill in while we tried to find the guy we really want. So perhaps a guy like DeBoer, we knew it was just going to be a matter of time before he made his way back to the NHL head coaching job. So maybe Gallant just kind of filled the void while they waited out for a year or two to find that the guy to find the guy they were really looking for. And perhaps that was maybe a Pete DeBoer all along. Now, do you think uh, Gerard Gallant will maybe coach uh, Seattle? Because they don't have a coach yet. Well, I mean, Lavi's still out there too. Yeah, there's there's still a couple coaches. You still got Babcock out there. There's there's I plenty. If, I don't know if Babcock will get hired now, just with all of his recent antics and such. I, I think don't know. I think for Seattle, the 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 two logical people to fill it would be Gallant and Lavi. I think there's still like three or four guys out there. I, I don't have the sheet in front of me, but there's still three or four guys that are looking for a head coach job that have experience behind the bench. I mean, I think we will see uh, Gallant back behind the bench. I think we will see Lavi. I think we'll eventually see Jim Montgomery behind the bench too, eventually. I don't think you're going to see uh, Peters or Babcock behind the bench for a while though. Yeah, but that being said, that's still, what, four or five guys that all have more experience than Gallant. So it will be interesting to see going forward who uh, Seattle chooses. So since we're talking about coaches, let's go ahead and get into our Preds talk. So as we said at the beginning of the show, the Preds have a bye week, and then you got the All-Star break coming up. The Preds don't have another game again until January 27th against Toronto. And until that game, they will now be at 51 points in 47 game played. So that means they're 6th in the division, they're 11th in the conference, and overall they are 21st in the league, and their record as of today on Monday night is 22 wins, 18 losses, and 7 overtimes. And our points leader is Yossi with 48. Our goal leader is Forsberg with 16. Yossi unsurprisingly has 34 assists. And sadly, our power play and our penalty kill still suck. Power play is at 24th at 16.9%, and our penalty kill is 29th at 73.7%. Yeah, that's that's the biggest glaring factor this year for us. Ironically enough, it, it's not the, pen, uh, the power play, it's the penalty kill this year. But Daniel, you said that this is a team that historically is known for having a very strong second half of the season push. I mean... We're still a few points out of a wild card spot. I don't have the exact number in front of me. We're six points out of a wild card spot right now. Okay, so I'm asking both of you right now with, with four games at hand. That's 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 the key right now. It's the Predators have played way less games than anybody. They literally have the fewest amount of games played in the entire league going into the break. That being said, with that many games left to play, without doing any sort of research, just on your gut feeling, do the Predators make the playoffs? I say yes in a wild card spot. I'm going to say a resounding no. And I'm going to have to say no because right now, I am not impressed. Yes, I like seeing the changes in Coach Hines' system. They've already been noticeable since he's been on behind the bench. We've went 3-3-0. and And on the wins that we've had, we've looked a pretty dominant team. And on losses that we've had, we started out strong and then just fell on our face again. Well, here's the thing. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I was talking to a guy at work about this and he was like, oh, you know, new coach coming in. How are the Preds going to look after this? And I said, well, you know, if everything goes great, let's just assume John Hines is the magic touch for this roster and now we're going to start kicking butt. My only fear with that is it's a little bit too little too late. This thing is going to take time to mesh well to learn his system and the way of doing things. And that's assuming you can fix it all overnight, which you can't. And you're already on top of that, what do we say, six points back of a wild card spot. So you're already on the outside looking in. I just think 
it's looking extremely, that's the definition of an optimist, I think, if you expect the Preds to be back in the playoffs uh, before the end of this year. Six points back with four games at hand, though. Yeah, it's doable. That's what I'm saying. That's the only reason why I say is it's 100% doable because yeah, it is doable. They have plenty of games. At I hand. just, uh, this whole year, you know, has got me doubting them. So for them to turn it around here in the, in the home stretch, I think that'd be very optimistic of them. That'd be great. But I'm a little reserved in saying that they will do so. I mean, I'm the same way. I like how the team has played. When they've had a strong game, they've looked unbeatable. They've looked unstoppable. They can play with the best of anybody. But they just seem to have this very consistent thing that if they get a strong lead, they let that first goal in from the opposition, and they just wilt. And they just don't seem to have a response. And we've seen too many times in the post-game interviews where they've told the press that, hey, this game was a wake-up call. Well, how many wake-up calls do you need before it clicks? Yeah, I will say this, though. The the last game against Buffalo, they got out to a great start. Lots of shots on goal. Lots of high-quality shots. Honestly, their their goaltender was on it that night, too, because he, he was getting peppered constantly. We had several ring off the post, but ironically enough, Buffalo ended up scoring first on one defensive lap at the end of the first. And I'm like, here we go again. But fortunately, I thought they showed great resolve in actually coming back, still sticking with the game plan, got the one, got the second one, and just shut it down defensively. And it was a 2-1 win, which we haven't seen from from them in a while. As far as like goals against, we've been getting hammered. I, I mean, that was one big thing with Heinz coming in. It was like goals against are way up. We have got to get that down. And obviously... The uh, the penalty kill is just still atrocious. So I, I think those are the two big things they're focusing on right now. Well, I actually uh, read an article from The Athletic and Adam Vinnigan had reported and we were talking about uh, John Hines coming in in his system and you mentioned five on five, even strength is really where the Predators have shined because obviously the special teams is garbage. So in this uh, report from Adam Vinnigan, he discusses system and he says because system is such a buzzword around these parts, in the wake of the coaching change, how would you describe Heinz's offensive and defensive philosophies at five on five? So Adam goes on to describe this, and I'll read this from this article. He says that Heinz is a big believer in protecting the high danger area in the defensive zone and getting bodies there in the offensive zone. His system often led to weak shot attempt percentages, but when the Devils were successful in 2017, they were among the best teams in the league at creating more high-danger chances than they were allowed. Even when the team wasn't successful, it had better expected goal numbers than most of other underlying metrics. The Devils strived to create offense off the rush, in part because speed at forward was a strength. Hines also wants his teams to create chances by moving the puck from low to high in the offensive zone and creating havoc in front of the net. So I think that going forward, if he implements that same system here, that will, I think, fare very well for the Predator system. That's something we've been lacking. We've been talking about it for a year or two about having a body and net front presence and playing that down low dirty game. So I think that would be very well for our system. The biggest factor is going to be this bye week into the All-Star break. We have an extended amount of time. They can now sit down and just practice. The only person that is going to be gone is Yossi, who obviously has been our best player right now. So, yes, it, it kind of sinks that our captain will be away. But at the same time, the rest of the team can gel. They can heal up. 
You have Sissons coming back. Ellis, eventually. Who knows? I mean, we're still trying to get a timetable on him, but they said sometime after the All-Star break. He he was literally second in our team on points. Him and Yossi were driving the offense before he got injured as well. So that said, there's a lot to look forward to after the break, but this is the critical week for the Preds, ironically enough, and there's no games being played. Now you're talking about uh, Ellis being injured. Did you see the thing with Corey Perry? So he gets that five-game suspension for elbowing Ryan Ellis in the head at the Winter Classic, gets off suspension, and Matt, I think I showed you the video yesterday that he comes around and basically knees uh, Stolak in the head in the blue paint. It It was like a 6-0 game too, by the way. He's going hard in the paint. It's like that that's not needed. This is the reasons like the five game suspension did not teach you. You didn't try to avoid it. So and last I saw there this player safety is like not even looking at it. Ellis is still out, by the way. Yeah. Like meanwhile, he's he's injuring still injuring another he's guy. still injuring another per or trying to, you know, hit other people. Like I still do not understand when a player specifically goes in for a dirty hit or goes in and IE hits a player, and they are subsequently out for X amount of games. In this case, Ellis has been out for a long time, by the way, since uh, the Winter Classic on January 1st. So he's been out definitely longer than five games. He'll be out probably 10 games minimum. Why is the person not committing the offense out an equal amount of time to the person injured plus one or two games or whatever the offense might be? Never understood it. I I like that... You know, idea. I think that's a bit of a fan theory lately as make the player go out as long as the injury of the guy he hurt. I really like speculating on that. That's something good to postulate on. I really don't know if the league will implement that ever, but it comes at a time where we, something else has to be done. I mean, you look, we're finding a guy like $50,000, which is the equivalent of like $20 to like normal people money. It's it's nothing for them to sit out a game or get a, like a little slap on the wrist fine. Uh, you know, it's not a big deal. So there has to come to some other way to make these guys feel it somehow. Make them sit out for a longer period of time for the duration of their injury. Find them a, a more substantial amount of money, which isn't going to happen. They're not going to agree to that. But there has to be something done here. What's going to end up happening is we're going to have one player that's going to get a concussion so severe for his first time that they're basically going to say, you know what, you're out for the season, and then who knows, you may not get to come back at all and play your game because somebody did that's such a... Yeah, you know, we might can be forgiving of, you know, one accident like Jumbo hurting somebody. You know, you're going to, you're going to let that one slide. But uh, a guy like Corey Perry just come off another suspension down to another suspension, like enough's enough already for that guy. So looking here on the notes, guys, I see I have a note to mention Colin Blackwell and Yakov Trenin. And one of the things I have here is that Yakov Trenin beat Zdeniel Chara in a fight. I don't know if I'd call that beat Zdeniel Chara. You don't really beat Chara in a fight. But I will say he stood toe-to-toe with him. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If it's a points match, he beat he beat Chara. Like, if we go to the judges' table, he's getting, he more, he's getting more points from the— Like, you're shaking your head just because it's Chara. Okay, you like Chara, whatever— but if you go to a, a professional boxing match, he won it because he got the big hit. He got the points. Let's just let's just settle that right now. I don't know. Did Char fall? No. Did he buckle? Yes. Didn't fall though. He buckled though. So he was just off balance a Bro, little bit. Is all. What's what's his height difference? Well, that's why he <laughs> kicked the other guy's tail. He didn't. I don't know. Did it's, you see it the was same about fight? 50-50. No, it's not. 
Yakov Trinin has a degree. You're living in fantasy world over there. That's so dumb. The the tie always goes to the defending champion. It was not a tie. Unless you knock him down, you didn't win. That's the way it goes. Look, Trinin Trinin has a degree in (laughs) fighting, so he knows how to fight. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. He's got some kind of special certificate or something for kickboxing or well, something. Well, you saw he was holding him off and yeah, just let him go. He, he did pretty and good. He waited for his la- his one opportunity and he just got him. I that mean, was, that was impressive. Him. Not many guys take on Chara, man. We watched Cassian earlier, but to see uh, Jakob Trenin, a guy you're not used to seeing do this kind of stuff, kind of a no-name guy coming in there, standing up, and uh, that that was exciting to watch. It was a for good sure. week for fights. I mean, it, it, just was. Overall. it was. It was. It was a mean, good week. What's a better way to make your name known in the league that you're the guy that made the Daniel yeah. Chara buckle? Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's an accomplishment. People didn't know your name going into the game, but they're going to know your name after the game. Well, I mean, let's look at him right here. So, Trenton's been up for about 12 games, and he got sent back down to Milwaukee during the All-Star break so he can keep playing. I fully expect that if Sissons or Watson is not ready to go, Come next, come the next game we play in, uh, against Toronto. That Trenton will be called back up because his partner Colin Blackwell, well, I was to say his partner, his fellow Admirals alum, Colin Blackwell, is still up here with us. So Trenton, since December seventh, has had six points in twelve games, and Blackwell, since December fourteenth, has had five points in fifteen games. Now, I personally like Trenton over Watson. I know there's a lot of Watson lovers out there out there laying hits. Trenton lays the hits. But he's also quite a capable scorer as well. Yeah, it was interesting to note that both of them ended up going back to Blackwell State. Yes. It is interesting to note that Yakov did go back to the AHL this week. Um, Don't know if that's in anticipation for Sisson's returning. I'm assuming that will be the case once he is reinserted back into the lineup. And then we'll see what they possibly want to do with Colin after the All-Star break when Ellis returns because uh, honestly, I felt like with the amount of play and with the sample size that we got, they did earn a little bit more time until maybe the numbers do slack off a little bit. They both played on a line with Kyle Turris too. Yes. Uh, I think Black Blackwell looked a little better, a little better than Trenton, but Trenton also was, I don't know, he was very gritty, very fast, on the, hardened to the boards. I don't, I don't know. It's one of those that's, it's very difficult because we have a really good team right now that's firing on all cylinders in Milwaukee. So obviously when we're pulling up people, they're contributing. So that's a good thing, but it's very hard to make the decision for who stays and who goes. Well, I think that also helps because the admirals that are being pulled up know that they have a legitimate shot of staying because of just how mediocre this team has been. But you know what? I think Blackwell's luck. I think he is straight luck. So let's look at this. He scores a goal in the Chicago game. Guess what else happens? The famed goalie goal. Rene <laughs> gets his goalie goal. Yes. I mean, that was an amazing goal to watch. I mean, I was watching the game with uh, my wife, and I was like, no way. He's not going to get this. And then I saw him fling it. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh. It's like, oh, no, that's going in. It, it was curling, baby. It went in, and I don't know who was more excited. The fans Willie Donick, Chris Mason, I don't know who was more excited uh, for that goal. Everybody, because they knew he had been trying this for how many years because he's he's obviously a puck handling goaltender. He likes to get out. He likes to to move it. He, he likes to work it up the boards for his team, kind of help out in that uh, department. And when the puck came around and I saw him kind of like do the little leg kick, you know, like stop it with his foot, I was on the couch and I'm like, oh my God goodness he's a he's about to shoot this and you can hear the bench screaming shoot it shoot it 
And when he elevated, I mean, he got some air on he that did. sucker. He cleared three people straight over in the middle of the ice and got enough curve on that to where, it, I mean, it hit almost dead center. And it was a very good moment for Peck, for the entire crew. Chris Mason was super excited. Goalies around the league oh, yeah. were super excited. Ben you Bishop Hellbuck tried to do it as well, too. Yeah, Ben Bishop was freaking out. Like, uh, I mean, it, it, it was a great night for him. I honestly thought it provided a nice boost for the team, despite the because I, you got to think this is almost right after the firing, so spirits are down. It, that type of play helps lift a team. I mean, you saw what it meant. Like Forsberg's freaking out. Uh, even former players, you know, James Neal commented on his Instagram, like you know, one doesn't make a the season and stuff, like picking fun at them. Yeah, you know, it, it's just it's one of those things that it was a great moment to lift the team spirit and hopefully get us set in the right direction because, I mean, and this is rare, too. This doesn't happen often. The last time it happened was 2013. And it's funny because that last person to get the uh, get a goalie goal was Mike Smith. So you fast forward to the Edmonton game, Mike Smith is in goal, and then good luck charm Colin Blackwell gets a goal. And also that night, Philip Forsberg, Forsberg gets the Michigan yeah, goal. He, he gets the Michigan goal. And by the way, it is a really smooth Michigan goal. Like uh, people were arguing, it might have been the best of the Michigan goal so far, just because of how smooth it was, and he was in full stride. So uh, it, it looked pretty impressive. He he had that puck on a string for that goal. They said that that goal would have not went in, but they said that Mike Smith knew that Forsberg was so going to try it lower. It, so he dropped it lower. Yeah. So when Mike went higher. Forsberg compensated and just went a little lower and then banked it off. And I was like, oh, that's, so, that's so good. I mean, to make those minuscule changes like that while handling the puck, that's next level talent. The league is getting so dumb as far as like how good the talent pool is. I mean, because you were getting goals like this on the regular now. And it, it's just fun to watch. But yeah, maybe Blackwell is the... Magic eight ball for us. I don't know our lucky charm, our rabbit's foot, because we've been pulling out all the stops this week as far as crazy goals. One interesting thing, you know, since we're talking about goals and stuff. So looking back at the the last six games since we've last recorded, the Preds have only had one goal in the second period. Like I've, I didn't notice that until literally just now looking. I was like, wow, there is no goal except for one. And that was Forsberg back at the Boston game. Yeah, that, that has been a period that we've struggled in. Well, consequently, the third period we've been fairly strong in. And it's just one of those things that we're not scoring the first goal usually. Normally, because we, we actually have a lot of first period goals, but it's always after the opponent scores on us. which like is a response. It's a response to that. And then the second period, we come out flat. And then usually we get scored on once or twice, and then we have to dig out a hole. And I know Hines has been preaching this too, the mental stability that like, you need to play 60 minutes, which honestly, I thought, like I said earlier, the Buffalo game was they did get scored on first, but they stayed to the game plan. Like the second period, they still locked it down defensively. They weren't trying to take too many, you know, uh, trying to get that push back. And then sure enough, they ended up scoring a goal in third when they were pushing and they looked stronger too as that game went on. And I, I, I think that's how they're going to start approaching the games for the rest of the season is play a solid 60, try to keep the goals against lower. Obviously, our penalty <laughs> kill is terrible right now, so please do not take any more penalties than you have to. So, 
Well, I don't know. I will believe it when I see it that the Preds play a full 60 because right now it seems like they play maybe a good 15, good 20, and then something catastrophic happens. I mean, I want to be optimistic about this team. I love this team. This is my team. I want to be optimistic, but you know, even with the new coach, I my my gut is saying the season is too far gone. No, they're, they're still not playing a full 60, but it has been better, like noticeably better the last few games. So w- we will see if they can... And this was one of the problems, too, that I felt with the firing. Sometimes firings happen, and it lights a fire. And then sometimes a firing happens, and it's still the players, because they had a very emotional connection to Lobby, obviously. So that being said it's going to affect them on the ice for the next couple of games because he's not there anymore. It's just a weird factor. And I didn't know if this team was going to respond like in a positive way or fold as of right now, it's about 50 50. So it'll be interesting to see, like I said, after the all-star break, once you get more of your pieces back that were injured and the whole team's there ain't the entire, like it's like a week and a half now to just sit down and practice with the new coach. I, I can't stress this is the most important week, and we're not even playing games. I find that very funny this year, but it is the most important week, in my opinion. I also think, you know, another thing that's kind of been understated as we talked about Trenton and Blackwell, these are young, you know, borderline AHL, NHL players. And that's something that possibly is why John Hines got hired here is because he has a connection with the AHL development of players on the national level there. And that's something he's known for is developing these young people, coaching them up. And even it's been said that he helped shelter them a little bit, playing his uh, his skill players almost too many minutes a game uh, in order to help the young guys have time to like to mature and to marinate and, and figure the system out and, and figure it out. So I'm really curious going forward with these guys we're talking about kind of on the watch list, Trenton and Blackwell. I'm really curious to see the moves that he makes going forward with them and if he's going to see them go back down to AHL uh, to Milwaukee or if he's going to help them come up and maybe put them on a line with somebody a little more skilled, a little more veteran and help them uh, help them come up. It's going to be interesting. Switching gears real quick, guys, before we go on to our next part of the show, do you think Yossi is deserving of the Norris still this year? I mean, He's about 12 points behind Carlson. As of today, Carlson's got 60 points and Yossi's got 48. And the goals really haven't changed where they're starting to lose uh, ground. Well, I'll say where Carlson's starting to gain ground is the assists. Carlson's got 47 assists compared to Yossi's 34. If Ovi's getting hot, which he is, by the way, Yossi can kiss it goodbye because Carlson got two, two assists last night on two Ovi goals. So... It's not even going to happen just because Carlson got off to such a hot start. He got like 35 points in the first month. It was like McDavid-level production in the first month. Because he had that hot start, Yossi's not going to get it this year. He's just not because now Ovi's heating up and Carlson's going to get a consistent, steady amount of points. He's going to get one or two points a game probably the rest of the year if if Ovi keeps this up. So uh, I'm going to say no, but Yossi should be second place in the voting this year. You know, Yossi had that couple week or two streak where he made you know star of the week, and he made this running close, which we we alluded to. We were talking about it when this was really close. But like you said, Kyle, uh, Carlson is is not he's widening the gap again. Yossi was drawing it closer. 
but it's really John Carlson's show. It was his to lose from the beginning, right from the start of the season, and especially now that Obi's heating up, especially now that Yossi's not just playing out of his mind, you just can't catch John Carlson. And even if it is a tie, I think John Carlson gets the loyalty vote of being on the sheet more, and he should get it over Yossi anyway. Yossi's still getting a point a game, which is incredible for a defenseman. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an incredible pace that he's on still. The problem is, like I said, John started off smoking hot, and now that Ovi's heating up, forget it. Because by proxy, John's going to get one or two extra points now because Ovi's hot. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Do you think, though, that the possibility could be that they end up coming out with two different types of trophies for defensemen, one for offensive defensemen and one for defensive? No. As much as I would appreciate that, the defensive side of the, of the defenseman's role is really trailing away in today's game. There's not that many players that play that style, so it'd be like picking out of a bushel of 10 people. There's not really enough to merit that. And if they haven't had it in times past, I don't see how they would uh, re-implement that now as as much as I would love that because that's the side of the ice I appreciate. I appreciate defensive defensemen the most, but uh, not so much these days. Now, you do find this funny because you're talking about defensemen, you know, like that plus-minus score. Uh, It is important to note that Yossi actually has a plus 23 on his plus minus over John Carlson at a plus 17. So the more defensive analytics point towards Yossi being the one. But as you stated, the award is trending more towards the offensive, like flashier. I I think ever since Eric Carlson set the bar a couple years ago, it's now like, yeah, that's kind of what started it. We got to have like a flash 80 point plus defensemen win it every year now and it's not so much the plus minus score it's not so much the guy who's locking down everyone every single night and that's unfortunate because Yossi's getting great production and he's looking really good on the plus minus as well but it's just not going to be enough offensive production I think this year with that hot start from John Carlson well Kyle I don't know if you saw this it was just today that the Athletic released another player poll, and these always uh, tickle my fancy. I really enjoy seeing what the players think. And some of the times, it's mostly anonymous. You know, we mentioned how the locker rooms a, a couple months back, how they had a player poll on that. And this is multiple categories here. The Athletic did another player poll, and uh, including uh, six or seven categories. The first category uh, was the best player voted for by uh-huh. uh, NHL players, of course. And not surprisingly, Connor McDavid. Uh, garnered 63% of the voting and Nate McKinnon got 17% followed by Crosby got 15 which isn't uh yeah surprising. I mean Connor has you can't argue it just looking nope. at the highlight reel goals this year too yep. he's he, he's also leading the league with 76 exactly. points exactly so out of out of all the polls he garnered the highest uh, percentage of uh, majority in all the polls and this one was I found very interesting the players were asked to pick their desired game seven goalie if they had to pick a goalie and who just take a guess who you think the top pick was Carey price actually it is Carey price <laughs> um that it's would just, not have been my guess but it's it's the loyalty factor with him being in the league so long i i would have had him maybe third or fourth or fifth last year's poll had him high in another goalie category that's the only reason why i say it is because there's a lot of older players that love Carey price so. I feel like he's still pretty consistent. It's just his play uh, has declined in the last few years. Like Flurry should be on there too. Yeah, Flurry. Uh, so Dre Flurry got twenty three percent, and Vasilevsky got uh, third place. That I just found right. that uh, interesting. I didn't expect uh, Price to get first place in this category. So 
uh, very interesting. And then the players got asked to vote on who they thought the most underrated player in the league was. And this was not a surprise. Alexander Barkov yeah. uh, got 22% of the vote. because he plays for Florida. That's why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he goes under everybody's radar for some reason, but he's a great player. Followed by Jonathan Huberdeau and Nicholas Backstrom. My boy. You're, that's right. You're a, your assist machine there, Backstrom. Okay, so this one's everybody's favorite category. Everybody knows the answer to this one. Who is the league's dirtiest player? Obviously. Corey Perry. Uh, no. See, what? here's the deal. Here's the deal. I would pick Corey Perry, but if you're thinking mainstream, it's the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Marchand. Uh, yes, it is Brad Marchand. Uh, garnered first place voting for 29%. Litgate, baby. That's right. And uh, a little bit of a throwback here, Tom Wilson gets number two Whoa. spot. Where's so, Kachuk? Uh, <laughs> Kachuk is the third place here. Okay. Well, he's hot right now. He's hot on the polls just because of the last week. Yeah, so. he's got a lot going on right now. But, uh, of course, it had to be Marchand for me in this one. And uh, aforementioned, uh, there was a category for best defensive defenseman. And Victor Hedman took the tally with 17%, followed by uh, Shea Weber and Ryan McDonough. Yeah, I figured Shea Weber would make that list. So that's yeah, pretty much how we expect that to Those are stay-at-home defensemen. Yeah. Like that, that's to be expected. Not too sexy, but they get the job done. And uh, best referee award goes to Wes McCauley. Shock. Yeah. Like, are we shocked by this? No. No. And uh, worst referee, I'm not really familiar with this guy's name, Justin St. Pierre. Not really familiar with him. Where's Tim Peel? Tim Peel, a guy's name we do know, uh, gets second place in this hey, category. I'm is. familiar with that name. So <laughs> you know what? I figured James Neal probably was like, "How many times can I vote no on this? Yeah, yeah. Or vote yeah. on this one." He, I don't know why he just absolutely hated James Neal. <laughs> and players were asked, uh, "What is their opinion on advanced stats?" Uh, simply yes or no to advanced statistics, and 86 percent said no. I oh my gosh that is mind boggling to me. Well, you got to think about it. A lot of them that grew up playing didn't have the advanced stats with them the entire way, like a lot of the younger players are now that have them with them. I know, and it's a mindset thing too, and they don't want to change or don't want to learn about that realm. But it is startling that eighty six percent are against it completely. Like, and, and I think a lot of the, I guarantee you, if you broke that pull up and if they put an age with it as you said like a lot of the younger category like newer to the league entry players probably voted yes and that if you take this poll in 10 years it's it's yeah. gonna change drastically you're seeing that you know advanced stats wasn't really around a few years ago and now all of a sudden kids are learning about it learning how to do it how to chart it how to track these things going forward and now you're seeing it we talk about manipulating it even on the GM level. Some of these people are reporting these statistics to the uh, front office so they can figure out how to make management moves on it. So it seems to be quite important. But if I'm a player, I'm really not surprised that 86% said no because if I'm a player and I'm doing pretty good, you know, not everybody's a superstar like Ovechkin. If I'm doing pretty good, I don't really want some computer boy going to my GM saying, hey, this guy really sucks in this little area that really may or may not make an impact on my game. So, and also, let's not forget, these hockey players are jocks. They might not be the smartest in math and stats and all, and as far as that goes. So it really doesn't surprise me that they're kind of against it. But at the same time, they literally have like analytics departments too, like for each team. So they could go to these people 
And I guarantee you they would sit down and explain it to you. And it's already done for them. They don't even have to like chart it out. Like it, it's already prepared because you have the nerd sitting behind the glass, AKA someone like me, like that would be doing it. So I just find it a little disappointing because a lot of the players won't break down and like try to understand or try to learn. But as I said, if you subdivide that up with the age at which they voted, I guarantee you in five to 10 years, this poll will look drastically different because the league is moving that way, whether they like it or not. And at the least, if you've got a computer boy telling you, he, you know, he does all the charts for you, he's done the data on your game, and if he can point out to you, hey, you're really bad at zone exits or whatever, and he can help you fix the problems you have in your game, then it would help you. But I'm almost thinking, as like you said, it's an age thing. I bet the older mentality is almost like an old guard. We don't want to see the game change because we've kind of mastered this way. We don't want to see this youngster style come in and we have to relearn how we manage how to play better and how we manage our game style. Well, it's because they tell you it's all about the heart, the grit. Yeah, those are fine. The eye test is good. Heart's fine. Grit's good. But after a while, you can only go off unquantifiable measures for so long before you need something quantifiable. It's those untangibles of Cody <laughs> McLeod. But I will say this, though. The... Most interesting interview that I heard in the last week was Matt Duchesne on Philip Forsberg's lacrosse goal. First of all, absolutely loved it. Thought it was incredible. But he said, if I had tried doing that goal five years ago, it might have started a fight because it wasn't acceptable to do that then. He's like, but now he's like the the talent of the league has now elevated and people are starting to try that. And you have the younger generation coming up and they're starting to try these things more often and now it's completely acceptable. But like five to 10 years ago, that might not have been acceptable. He might have gotten beaten for trying to do it because someone would have thought it's cheap or whatnot. So I, I think you are seeing a changing on the guard here pretty soon because you have like the youngins, like McDavid now is still young. He's, he's like 23, 24. That blows my mind too. Like he's extremely young and that is the next generation that is taking over as some of these I mean, some of these players have been here for a while. Let's talk Thornton, Marlowe. These players are now in the twilight of their career. Chara, they will now be passing the mantle on soon, and you're going to see the next generation come up, and I think it is going to change drastically. Well, you know who is not going to be passing for a while? And that's my boy, Alex Ovechkin. In the analytics department, all they simply say, they get a piece of he paper. He cannot be stopped. And right, right, goal score. That's it. Office, shut it down. You know, it's funny that Ovechkin's had such a good week. I mean, he has done amazing from January 13th and 19th. Matt, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder yeah, here. Ovi scores consecutive hat tricks for the third time in his career. Only Joe Malone has done it four times and Wayne Gretzky three times. I mean, yeah, he also had two goals before that. So he had three games with eight goals. Scored his 690th, his 691st, and his 692nd goal. In his games last week, the past Mario Lemieux at 690 and Ty Steve Eisman at 692. Boo. His, his goals per game this week were higher than some teams. <laughs> and the funny thing that's, is... That's dumb. Let that sink in. His goals per game were higher than some teams. And the funny thing is, is I saw a tweet of some sort and I passed it to the guys here. It was just funny. Alex Ovechkin's been in the league for 15 years. The league has had... 15 years to come up with an adequate defense of Ovechkin's goal scoring. They know what he's going to do. 
They've had 15 years and they can't come up with anything to stop him. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt's basically. Like, Matt's like, he's slowly having to realize and come to the conclusion that yes, he is one of the greatest players of all time. He's going to go down as freaking top five ever, probably. I mean, right now, he's, I think top three. <sighs> Let me I just don't like, see, look here. Look at this list, Kyle. He's <laughs> passing Solani, Tamu Solani, Lemieux, and here's my, just do anything, but don't pass Steve Eisenman. That's like my <laughs> no-touchable list. Don't talk about Steve Eisenman. Let him be alone in the greatest of all time category. Like, let him be. But freaking Ovechkin is just tacking off these humongous in idols. Games. And I know. And it's it's unreal because, you know, I love, I love Russians. I love Ovechkin. But it's almost too easy to love him. Everybody loves him. He's one of the best players of all time. I don't know. Sometimes you just got to be like, you I'm, know, I'm from he's, the old he's got it. He's got it. I'm from the old school, though. I want these hockey greats, these hockey gods of old to stay illustrious, never touched in history. I want these Lemuse but to stay up there. That's what almost makes this more impressive to me. And uh, because you're talking about, and we've seen all the stats about like if Gretzky were put in today's market, he wouldn't have scored as many or had as many points as he did. And it is obvious that today's game has been completely elevated as far as like league average player is much better than it was back then. So that's what makes it almost even more impressive to me that he is doing it in a time frame that no one thought ever yeah. he could get caught. Like they looked at Wayne Gretzky's numbers and said, no one's ever going to catch these. And now you're sitting here saying, oh man, he can catch this. Like he can actually catch the goal scoring record, which is mind boggling to me. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Kyle, you made the joke the other day just to make me mad that Gretzky, if he played today, he'd be like an average, you know, second line player or something. And there's a little bit of truth to that. <laughs> just the fact that Ovechkin is standing heads and shoulders above a league which is by and far vastly superior than it was back in the day really speaks to how freaking dominant Ovechkin is. And that's something that I don't like to to really uh, deal with because I like to say the greats, they'll let them be the great, but man... Ovechkin is a freak of nature. I dare say that when Ovechkin's career is said and done, not only will the Capitals retire his number, not only does he get in the Hall of Fame, the league very well, very well may retire his number. Yeah, that uh, that's a conversation for another day because he's still got like four or five more seasons. If it, if he keeps this average up, it's unreal to think that within three to four seasons, he is going to be knocking on Gretzky's all-time goal-scoring record. That is mind boggling to me that I never thought that would be even possible. And it's important to note because Kyle, you went back and said that they've had like 15 years to see his, his, you know, basically his style. One, the power play is what it is because someone's going to get open. They have to cycle, 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 and he's over in his office. But someone pointed out too that a lot of players, they like to, you know, point for that, that top left corner where they, they want to try to snipe it in there. It's important to note, too, the goaltender, when he slides over, he at least can block that top right corner with his glove hand. But they said the thing about Ovechkin's slap shot is he always aims right here above the shoulder on the bar. So, one, he has a little bit more room to work with than rather the corner. And, two, normally the, he, they can't get the glove over in time because normally they can just go straight up. They can't come back over. And you can't raise your shoulder up as high. So they said the true goal scorers shoot for over that that kind of like shoulder area and he does it every time with pinpoint accuracy. 
So, and you it, know, it's, it's almost it's almost impossible to. But like he, we we play them in a week or two. Do you think Ovi, Ovi gets a power play goal against us? Probably. Yeah, I mean it's inevitable. To pair with that, they're also Ovechkin. He basically owns my uh, my stat sheet this week. Uh, not only that, but he has a couple other milestones uh, here this week. He also passes Wayne Gretzky for third all-time in multi-goal games with one franchise, which is kind of skewed. Okay, all right, sure. But uh, only Lemieux and Gordie Howe are above him in that category. I don't know if you mentioned this one, Kyle. He ties my other boy, Brendan Shanahan, for sixth in game-winning goals all-time. Mm-hmm. And Also, this is his 15th consecutive season with 30 goals. <laughs> yes, and that's that makes him the only the third player in history to do that. Yep. And not only that, so here's a good statistic. I kind of chewed on this one in, for a couple days this weekend. So from the time comparing Gretzky to Ovechkin, from the time Gretzky was 30 years old to the end of his career, he scored 217 goals. So now Ovechkin, at the age of 30 has scored at 30-plus, has scored 217 goals as well. So it's tracking both Ovechkin and Gretzky since they were 30 years old, and it took how long did it take them to score 217 goals? It took Gretzky 640 games. It took Ovechkin 373 games. In in a more competitive era. In a more competitive era (laughs) at the zenith or the you know, back half of his career. He's even getting better with time and at a pace that's, uh, you know, at least 30% faster than Gretzky did it. That's that's insane. Yeah, he's just heating up, baby. He's just heating up. <laughs> it blows my mind. Like, is he going to have another 40-goal year next year? Probably. Like, you just pencil him in for 30 to 40 goals a year minimum. Well, Matt, I, mean, I look over here and I see you're just kind of depressed. Do you have anything else for us? Uh, well, I'll get you a couple uh, little happier news here without it being totally the Ovechkin show. Uh, last couple things I'll mention is that my boy Patrick Marlowe is now the fifth player in history to have played in 1,700 games. And uh, Patrick Kane, speaking of that younger generation, he is now the youngest uh, U.S.-born player to 1,000 points, beating it uh, faster, doing it faster than J- uh, Jeremy Roenick did it. And also, our first U.S.-born player in history to have 30 goals in each of his first four seasons. But the only other active player to do so, who is not U.S.-born, happens to be Alexander Ovechkin. So, really, the entire stat sheet, it all revolves around Ovechkin this uh, this week. So, The only difference is Ovechkin's made the playoffs. Well. Anyone <laughs> a cup? <laughs> you got a cup. <laughs> uh, so, Daniel, what games we got coming up? Well, fortunately, we are in the bye week into the all-star break, so it feels weird because we have literally one week to our next game, and that will be against the Toronto Maple Leafs at home, followed by the Washington Capitals on the road and the New Jersey Devils. Then we wrap it up on the 1st of February already, which is crazy to think we're already in February, against the Vegas Golden Knights, and we should be recording by then. And maybe we'll have a good win streak and maybe pushing closer to that playoff spot. Yeah, we got two tough games right after the break, Toronto and Washington. So we shall see if Ovi keeps his goal scoring up against the Preds. 
every week now, Matt. I'm just going to come in and all the stat sheet's going to say for you is this Alex oh, Levanchkin oh, <laughs> goal scorer. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. This has been Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us on our Twitter feed. That's at Music City Gold. Subscribe to us on iTunes at Music City Gold, or you can find us at PenaltyBoxRadio.com and their Twitter and iTunes feed. Till next time, guys, we'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.